0: everybody. Come on, aren't you glad to be at church today? Man, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. You made it the week after Easter. Proud of you. Excited. Come on, somebody. Hey, go ahead and pull out your notes. Uh, we should kick off a brand new series today. My name is Brandon Doss. I'm one of the pastors here at Cultivate. Uh, the series we're starting today is Because He Lives. Now, Wow, that's an old song. If you anybody familiar with the old song, because he lives, like I love it. You know, you can't say this title. I was talking with our team this week. I was like, you can't give a title like that and people not start singing the song in their head that are familiar with it. Uh, I'm not going to sing it today. <laughs> You're okay. Everybody, sit back down. You don't have to leave. Uh, but I love the idea because he lives. The old song says, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. Right? I can do. I can move forward. You know, last week we celebrated Easter weekend. I love Easter weekend. It's an incredible holiday. It's one of my favorite holidays all year long. And the truth is, most people in our culture, we kind of celebrate Easter weekend as a memorial. What do you mean by that? Well, we kind of think of it as a day that something happened. But how many of you know Easter's far more than just something we celebrate that happened? Back in 33, 34 A.D. It's far more than just an event. Easter's not about what happened then. It's about what has continued to happen as a result over the next 2,000 years. Jesus has been doing great and has been doing incredible things since the resurrection since Easter. So it's really not about like it's good that we talk about that he did it, but why don't we, let's talk about what he's been doing the last 2000 years. Let's talk about what happens in our own lives. If you've got your notes our theme verse this month is 2 Corinthians 5:17. Maybe you've heard this passage. I love it. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new what? person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Like like all through the New Testament, Jesus isn't talked about as a historical figure. It's a who he is today. Because I belong to Christ today, my old life is gone. New things have come. God should have like as a follower of Jesus, there ought to be a marker in our life in some way that says I am different today than I used to be something is new. Maybe I'm not where I want to be one day in life, but come on, aren't you glad I'm not who I used to be Before Jesus. And so last week we celebrate. Easter was a big weekend. Over 1,200 people worshiped with us over the course of the weekend at both campuses. Come on, it was a big weekend here at Cultivate. Uh, The egg drop happened. A couple thousand people, 1,500, almost 2,000 people showed up to that event in the rain. I mean, in the pouring cold rain. But we did it. We made it. That was an incredible weekend. Here's the best number. 12 people decided to follow Jesus last Sunday over Easter weekend. Incredible. Thank you, Lord, right? What, what better day to start a brand new relationship with Jesus than Easter, weekend. But how many of you know, listen, if that's all it is, if it's just a holiday, wah, wah, right? Like if Jesus, if all we ever talked about was the death of Jesus, well, that's, a, that's an honorable thing. Jesus said it this way, there's no greater love than any man has than he that will lay down his life for his friend. Shows that he loved us an immense amount. But if, 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 son, if the resurrection hadn't happened, it was just a memorial. But, y'all, it's not a memorial. Like the only difference between last Sunday and this Sunday, y'all know what it is? It's an invitation. It's the power of an invitation. You know, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks that most Christians, once they follow Jesus in faith, most of them will go their entire Christian faith having never really shared their faith. Really never even having a gospel conversation with anybody in their Christian walk. And in and, and America, like the number one time that people might share their faith or might have any kind of gospel conversation is around Easter or around Christmas. Like we, something gives us a boldness to begin to talk about our faith in those moments. Part of it is that culture leans into Christianity around Easter time. Now, it's a whole different reason, right? It's capitalism. They want to make sure that they get the resources and things that are at, at, at hand around Easter time. But I love the way Paul says it in Philippians. I really don't care what the motive is. As long as Jesus is being talked about, it really doesn't matter to me. And so we see that it's easier to lean in to Christianity. It's easier to lean into our faith and have gospel conversations as we like enter into moments like Easter weekend. But I titled your message now now what? Cuz the resurrection happened, but how am I as a follower of Jesus going to take the resurrection and it be more to me than just a memorial service? It be more to me to me than just a day that I celebrate once a year. What if I could live every day through the lens that I lived last week? What if every day of my life church wasn't a debate? That got my faith wasn't a debate. It wasn't. It wasn't in question. Like, what if my faith was on the forefront of my mind on a consistent basis? What if the same feels that I had about Easter week I could have on a consistent daily basis in my life? What if the resurrection could make a difference in my life every day that I open my eyes? Because it happened, right? The resurrection happened. Now what? There's good news. Like, as you read the Bible, as you get out of the resurrection, you enter into a book called the book of Acts, written by Luke. You've got the gospel of Luke, and he continues his story through the book of Acts. And it gives us a good understanding of what they did next. Y'all know the disciples did the same thing? They were like, now what do we do? Like, what happens now? Largely, the world went back to just business as usual after the resurrection. By and large, the masses saw it happen, witnessed it happen, and then they just kind of went back to to life as usual. How do you know that? Well, the Bible even tells us that around the time that Jesus was uh, ascended into heaven, there was 500 people out there watching him do that. 500 people. That's a pretty good bit of people, y'all. It was well documented that the man died, came back to life, resurrected, and 500 people cared about it. Matter of fact, even after that, you know, here's, some, here's some even, uh, uh, even better numbers. Those five, out of those 500 people, after Jesus literally gives the world example, gospel center, like Matthew 18, like 28, we see, 28, 18, go, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 500 people watched him rise up into heaven, disappear into heaven, saying, I'm coming again. And you get into the book of Acts, and guess how many people actually give a, give a mess about that? 120 they cut it in half within days of him ascending into heaven. What does that mean? It means that it's really, really easy for us to see miraculous things happen and just go back into the normal, same old, same old. But what if that didn't have to be? What if I could live my life every day with the awe of Easter? There was 120 that stayed, that stayed around and prayed and earnestly sought the face of God, and they were, they were witnesses to the beginning of the church that changed the world. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna share with you a couple of things. What happened? What did they do next after the resurrection? That I think if we could focus on that in our lives, it'd change everything for all of us and our spheres of influence, all right? So let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word today that it's alive and breathing, that the word became flesh and walked among us. Jesus, you so loved the world that you sacrificed yourself for our salvation. God, not only did you die through Jesus, but you came back to life, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And so, Father, I pray as we answer this question, what do we do now? That the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead begins to rule and reign in our lives, and we walk out of this place inspired to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. God, you'll get all the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. What's the next step? Number one is submission. Everybody's like, oh, great. What does it mean to submit to God? It literally means sub. I'm coming under a mission. Y'all know nothing is submission if you are on board with it from the beginning. Like, it's not submission. Like, any, anybody ever, like, old wrestling matches, like, you know, it's a submission match. What happens? They have to say what? I quit. If you like MMA fighting. Like, they, it's only submission if they tap out. And literally, what does it mean for us to submit our own preconceived ideas, our own emotions, our own feelings, to the word and power of God. He talks about it in Acts 2.37. Peter's words pierced the hearts of people. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, now what? What do we do with this information? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is so good news. This is for you, your children, and all of those who are far away. All who have been called by the Lord your God. Now this is big news because think about this. This is Peter. This is like the guy that denied Jesus on Easter weekend of all the times, right? The first Easter weekend, Jesus denied him. Like, not only did he deny him, but after the crucifixion, Jesus, like, took other disciples with him and said, I'm going fishing. Like, I'm done with this. Like, I didn't fully even trust in Jesus at the moment. All of a sudden, we see here 50 days after that happened. Like, just a couple of months go by, he's been restored. And if there's anybody on earth at this particular moment in time that understands submission, who would agree that it's Peter? He understands it. He understands submitting his own emotions, his own feelings, To him. Finally, Peter understands like to trust Jesus even when he fully can't comprehend what's going on, even when he can't fully comprehend what's happening. Complete submission. What does it look like? Like, what does it look like for me to submit to someone who knows better than me even when I can't grasp it? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's kind of a, a fearful thing having to trust in God like I can't see tomorrow I can't see what's ahead so I just got to close my eyes and follow along like what if I like what if what if something crazy happens anybody been fearful of just trusting somebody uh you know my son turned seven this past week shepherd uh and shepherd's not if you've been with us some of you guys have been with us at theme parks and stuff and like he's not the thrill ride connoisseur like you got to really really coax him and um sometimes just handcuff him and drag him on the ride you know what I mean? Like he don't trust anybody. Uh, And so this past week, we had been talking for months about him taking his first motorcycle ride with me. And like for a long time, he's like, dad, he's a negotiator. And uh, about six months ago, he said, dad, he's like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. When I'm seven, I'll ride the motorcycle. I was like, all right, that's done. I said, shake on it. He shook on it. And like Saturday, I told him, I was like, oh, bro. I said, you're about to be seven. You know what that means? And his face like just got fear all over. Like immediately he recognized, oh, my God, I made a deal. And then like he goes, okay, Dad, what about when I turn eight? I was like, no, man, you made the deal. You shook on it. We're doing it. And so like after school, the day he turned seven, I got home early and I was like, all right, bro, you're going to ride them. I saw him from the road. I could see his eyes. He he made eye contact. He's like, God, he came home early. I got to do it. And like on his way, I could see his little, you know, you could see his little brain turning. Like, how can I get out of this? And and I'm like, we got, he got to the yard and I'm like, bro, you're riding the motorcycle. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. And he's like, oh my. Like, then he just goes from negotiating to like fear tactic, just bawling his eyes out. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I'm going to die. I'm like, no, you're not going to die. It's going to be fun. I got a helmet. I'm just going to go slow. I'm not going to leave the neighborhood. He's like, we're not going down the hill, right? I'm like, no, we're just going to coast through. And like, as he's like bawling, I get him on the back of the bike, and he's crying. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to get out. I was like, just trust me, son. He's like, I don't trust you at all. (laughs) And as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I lock eyes with my beautiful wife right here. And she mouths so that he can't hear her. If anything happens to him, you're dead. <laughs> so I'm like, now I'm scared. You know what I mean? Like, like it's gonna be like now I'm worried, right? I'm trusting you, Lord. Don't let anything happen. And so we coast around the neighborhood, and I'm like 10 miles an hour all through the neighborhood, and we get back into the driveway, and he was like, That was awesome. It's like, let's go again. And so I put my helmet on and, and go back around and we go a little bit faster and we, you know, go around the neighborhood, ride around. And like now, every day he's like, let's ride the motorcycle. That was the greatest experience ever. And it took me as his father holding his hand and kind of forcing him through the fear. That's what it took. Now, many of us we don't, we don't pursue a lot of things in our faith journey because we're afraid. We're fearful. And sometimes it requires the Lord forcing us through our fear to recognize. Anybody been on the other side of a circumstance and went? Man, look what God did. Man, thank you, Lord, for walking me through that. A couple weeks ago, I I posted a video clip on uh, Instagram of what it actually looks like to trust Jesus and to follow Him. So check this out. Grab my hand. Grab my hand. Now we wait. We wait for that person. Now, Now! Now we go. Keep holding my hand. Keep holding my hand. Keep moving. Keep your feet. Why is your hand sleeping? Come on, anybody? Anybody feel that, like, in your soul? Like, why are you letting go? Hold my hand. Like I said that to my kids, God's done that to me more times than I can count. Right? Like, listen, I've learned in my faith journey, sometimes I just have to close my eyes and trust the Lord. Submit to Him. That's why Scripture reminds us, hey, those, the righteous Walk by faith and not by sight. Can I tell you there's a whole lot of things that God is going to bring you through in your faith journey. That if you could see the other end, you would never, ever, ever go through with it. So he tells you just close your eyes. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to walk you through it. Submit to me. Submission literally means to give up control. To trust fully in the alternative position I once was lost but thank God I am now found. I was blind but now I see I couldn't see the other end but God brought me. Through it, and and the more I've learned in my faith journey, when I can tr- when I can begin to trust Him in the little things, it just adds on, right? I can trust Him in this man. He got me through that one. I can trust Him in this one. Well, he didn't. I didn't die in that one. I tell Shepherd all the time, hey man, I I brought you through a whole bunch of stuff. Have I ever lied to you? And he tears, you, no, you never lied. I was like, all right, I got you this time. He's like, but I still don't trust you. You know what I mean? Like we do the same thing with God, right? He's brought us through so many times. But how about we just close our eyes and submit? To the mission. Just trust in him. What's next? Hey, they saw him rise from the dead. What's next? Whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm on board for that. Number two, if you're taking notes, they committed themselves to devotion. What's next? Well, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to be devoted. I love this in Acts 2.42. What did the church do? And all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were committed. What does it mean? Devotion. To be devoted to something. You don't want to write this word down in your notes, extra. Write down devoted equals discipline. See, to be, to be committed, to be devoted to something means you're going to have to discipline yourself over time. You see, anything that's ever become a good habit in your life, honestly, any bad habit in your life, first began as a discipline. It was just, it began as something you just devoted yourself to. Whatever that looks like. And it says early on that the church, the people that started following Jesus, they began to develop some disciplines in their life that grew them in their faith. What is that? Write these down. Number one, they committed themselves to teaching. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like, I've come to grow and learn this in my faith, that the teaching of the Bible has to be greater than the opinions of culture. Has to be. The teachings of the Bible in my life has to be more valuable to me than all of the sh- uh, the shifting winds of culture around me. Part of my submission to Jesus is my devotion to his word. Part of like I lay my feelings, my emotions, my desires down and devote myself to his better way. Why did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Because literally, not much different than today, there was a new wind of teaching every time they turned around. There was something new coming along every wind that blowed. They could find a new way everywhere that they looked. And so they made a decision as they're going to follow Jesus that we're going to commit ourselves to something concrete. If there's going to be something that I level my life at, that at the base of everything, when when I don't know what to do, what can I go back? to to find absolute truth it was the teaching of the apostles the teaching the preached word of god it's important as a follower of jesus that you commit yourself to the teachings of the bible can i tell you listen you can turn you can open your eyes every day and you can open social media and a book or wherever you want to go and you can find something contrary to scripture everywhere you look but that's why as a follower of Jesus, I have to say, come hell or high water, I'm basing my life on the teachings of the Bible. They were committed to, number two, if you want to write this down, this next check mark, they were committed to fellowship. That's kind of an old school word. I love fellowshipping, right? You know, what does that even mean? Like fellowship is a deeply rooted, consistent meeting to pursue a common goal or interest. What do you mean deeply rooted? It means they didn't miss it. It means when they began to follow Jesus, there was something in them that said, I've got to be around other people who are following this too. They found community and they committed themselves completely to one another. Like it's a deeply rooted common interest gathering. That's what we call small groups around here and serve teams around here. We don't have small groups just to give people one more thing to do. We don't say get on a team just so you can have one more thing to do in your busy schedule. We just know that if we're going to commit to the things of God, that we need to be around the people of God often as we can. Like it makes a difference. It's the single best way to sharpen your faith in Jesus. is to be in community with like-minded people chasing after the same Goal. No better word that you can hear in your life than somebody has gone through the things that you're walking through. That they've saw the other end of it and they've watched God walk them through it. It's what ultimately is the greatest form of discipleship. We call it relational discipleship. Like The more you're around like-minded people going through the same things, the more committed and devoted you can be in your faith. I grew up playing baseball. Any baseball fans in here, baseball fans? Yes, like some of you, like, I mean, I loved baseball. And I learned growing up, like, the more I can be around like minded people that love the game, the better I'm going to be at the game. Like, I just learned that intrinsically. Like, I knew the more I spent time around people who understood the game, who recognized the game, who knew it was far deeper than just. Three outs and three strikes and four balls and three up and three down. Like, like who, you know, all, that even beyond just knowing the positions in the field. Like you learned the reality of the game. Y'all know baseball is a pretty complicated game. Like in any given game, there are thousands of different scenarios that can take place. And I remember growing up that when I got into high school, we would literally spend hours on one thing called PFP. Pitchers fielding practice. And golly, I just thought, why in the world? Like hundreds of scenarios, we would stand on the mound and our coach would go, all right. The bases, there's runners on first and third. The the count is two and two. Uh, What do you do? And I'd be like, I don't know, I'm going to pitch the ball, you know, early on. And they're like, no, that's not what you do at all. That's stupid. You don't do that at all. Like, here's the scenarios. And, like, this is a position, and this player plays here, and this player does that. And if the ball goes here, this is where you throw it. If it goes here, this is where you throw it. And literally, I remember my middle school mind literally, like, being crunched to the point of, like, I, I, I can't fathom all of these things. But over time, we began to understand every feasible scenario. Like, there's a ton of different things that could happen in any given moment in a baseball game. And some of you are all like, I know that's why I hate it. <laughs> that's why I can't watch it, right? It's just too, it's too much going on, it's too boring. There's gotta be more. That's life. Like, any given day of your Christian life, any given day of your faith journey. Y'all, there's a million different things that could possibly happen. Y'all know the enemy wakes up every day, Jesus said, to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes at every feasible possible angle that he could come to in your life. You think, man, I've overcome that. I've conquered him in that. Next thing you know, he is coming from a whole different angle. And the more I'm surrounded by people that love God and want to see his best for my life, the better I get at playing the game of life. The more I understand my faith journey with other people, the better I get at growing as a disciple. And I want you to understand this. Listen, it takes devotion. It takes discipline. There's going to be times in your walk with the Lord where you just don't want to be around people. There's going to be times in your walk with the Lord where you just don't want to be committed to community. But that's why it's important to have community that walks you through when you don't want to. That helps you through when you just can't. When you got folks praying for you when you hadn't prayed in six months because of just the junk you're walking through. That's what fellowship is. They devoted themselves. They disciplined themselves to it. The more you're around people that love it, the better off you get at it, right? Join a small group. Join a serve team. Get people in your life that love God and are going to link arms together and walk this thing out together, all right? They love this one. They committed themselves to hospitality. That's a big one. What is hospitality? It means that at some point in your life, it needs to go go deeper than a small group. It needs to go a little deeper than just Uh, Community that you would show up to Like you need to invite people into your inner circle You need to invite people into your life Cook a meal Invite somebody into your home Like everyone in your small group doesn't get that invitation Come on somebody who's been to some weird small groups before Right Like sometimes you go up in there and you're like Ain't nobody learning my address in this room You know what I mean like, I'm going to find me somebody. Like, it's okay. Like, it, everybody, everything's not for everybody. You go into a group that's just not your cup of tea, find another one. Everybody doesn't get the same invitation, right? Like, there, are, there needs to be people in your life that goes deeper than just that, that you are invited into your inner circle. It don't have to be everybody, but let me tell you something. It needs to be somebody. Like, they were devoted to it. They, were, they disciplined themselves to build community To such a great degree that it went deeper and further. Jesus did that. He modeled that. The Bible says hundreds of people followed Jesus. But he only allowed about 12 of them in his inner circle. And even that, we would call that fellowship. He had hospitality for three of them. You look, at the, you look at the Gospels. There were moments in which Jesus needed something the most. He took everybody else out and he invited a couple into that inner circle. He only took three of them to the Mount of Transfiguration. He only took a handful of them to where he went to pray at the garden the night before he died. Everybody else stayed back, but he had an inner circle the bible says they devoted themselves to hospitality like they like to sharing meals including the lord's supper like that's a that's a deeper level of intimate relationship it goes deeper than simply just showing up at a meeting it goes deeper than simply just showing up on sunday and serving on a team those things are important those things are vital we have to have them but there's a deeper level as i grow in my faith that they became disciplined in and that grew into habits that ultimately made a difference in the local church. It was at that moment that the Bible says, and the, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. It was on a personal relationship. It went deeper than just showing up and shaking hands and smiling and putting on that mask and making everybody think everything's just okay. Have you got people in your life that are in an inner circle, that are with you, and then they committed themselves. This one, uh, last check mark. They committed themselves to prayer. They were devoted to it. it means they were disciplined in it. Some of y'all are like, man, I just, I, I'm not, I stink at prayer. I'm just not good at it. Hey, y'all, we all stunk at it at some point. I tell you, like, I didn't grow up being taught how to pray. I stunk at it. It was awful. I was, I was horrible at it. We're teaching our kids to pray. And um, Shepard says the same thing. He's like, Dad, I just don't even know what to say. It's awful. You know what? We're teaching him. Just say this. I don't even care, son. Just do it. The more you do it, the better you get at it. It was a devotion. They disciplined themselves to pray. And in your life, have you allowed yourself to simply excuse it away because it's just awkward? Have you excused away a prayer life because you just feel weird doing it? When's the last time you've prayed openly with your family? When's the last time as a follower of Jesus you've grabbed the, the hand of your spouse and said, let's pray together for one another over our kids about our circumstance. What, next, what needs to happen next in this journey together? Let's ask God together. They devoted themselves. They disciplined themselves in the, in, the, in the power of prayer. What does that look like for you? Ask yourself an honest question. Write it down on your notes. When's the last time I disciplined myself to pray. I can tell you there's seasons of my life that it's a discipline, that I just, I, I do it because I know. But then there's seasons like this past week I just knew I needed to meet with the presence of God. So I snuck into this auditorium, light still off. I sat right down here on this front row and I spent a lot of time in prayer. Brandon, what did you say? A whole bunch of it was, God, I don't even know what to say. I just know I need you. And can I tell you, when you devote yourself, discipline yourself to the portion, the act of prayer, you know what I've learned in my faith journey? A whole bunch of times the Lord just steps in and his presence is there and I don't even got to worry about the things about what I have to say. God does it for me. It kind of like with my kids. My kids are are, uh, like really, really good at talking at certain times and then they're horrible at talking when I actually want to talk, right? You kids come home after school. Hey, how was your day? How'd it go? What's going on? Good. No, really, what happened? Eh, same old. Right? Like, anybody else, kids do that? Like, like I want to talk. You know what I've discovered? That I, I can have great conversations when I learn to ask the right questions with my kids. And can I tell you, when you devote yourself just to being in the room with God, the Holy Spirit works itself out. And over time, you find yourself being able to, through the discipline of just showing up, your prayer life becomes stronger. It becomes better. The conversation gets a little easier every time. They devoted themselves. Y'all, it didn't come easy to the church. It wasn't, it, it wasn't an easy thing for Paul to spend in prayer. Matter of fact, you can read, there's a lot of times the Bible that where Paul literally said, I was in prayer and I fell asleep. <laughs> like, okay. Like, no better time than to fall asleep than in the presence of God, right? Like, just devote. Discipline yourself in the act of prayer. Everything in life will be a discipline before it ever becomes a habit, right? So discipline yourself. Put it on your calendar. Find a time where your alarm goes off and say, spend 10 minutes with God. You don't got to be an hour. Like, okay, there's some times where the Lord might be like, you're trying to stay an hour. And he's like, all right, enough is enough, right? Like, move on about your day. My, my prayer life has become, over my faith journey, has really become more of incremental conversations throughout a day than literal time hundred, you know, hour time blocks that I can sit and go. Like, I'm ADD. I, I, I lose attention really, really quick. But man, those moments that I've developed and disciplined myself to in prayer have become vital in my life. So are you disciplining yourself through prayer? And I love this one. Last one I'll share with you is determination. Another word for that is tenacity. Man, the church began to be devoted to just not quitting. Don't give up. I love it. It says, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. He took the place, this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads or four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover. Who would say that's a pretty uh, horrible space to be in? And it says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The greatest thing that that you can see happening in that passage. If you go on to read Acts chapter 12, you'll see where where there was a miraculous thing that took place. Where God literally delivered Peter through all of those squads and all of those things. He delivered him miraculously. And we recognize, it told us in Acts, it was because of the tenacity of a group of people that, that just prayed. They prayed earnestly. They asked God to move in spite of a circumstance and a situation. When's the last time we had that kind of tenacity in our own faith? Listen, the resurrection happened. Now what? What if God could inspire us to live our life on purpose in such a way that it made that kind of difference in our world, in our sphere of influence? Hey, I want to pray for you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Our band's going to come, and they're going to play some music. Nothing funnier or weird's going to happen, I promise. Jesus illustrates this tenacity in a story he talks about in Luke chapter 18. He talks about a woman who wasn't getting, like, they, like like she needed some justice. And she kept going to this ruler who was an unjust ruler, he said. And every day she would come, and every day she would ask, and every day she would be told no. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. She kept on, and she kept on, and she kept on. And it said, finally, this unjust ruler declared, This woman is driving me crazy. I'm either gonna kill her or let her have her way, basically. And the Bible says that this unjust ruler gave her justice because of her persistence and her tenacity. And Jesus says this: He says, if that could happen in those moments, how much more does our Heavenly Father like want, want to show up in our commitment, in our tenacity? It says it this way in Galatians. It says, hey, don't give up. Don't give up. In due season, we'll reap a great harvest. If we don't quit. It's my hope, church, that we wouldn't quit. That when life gets difficult, when things go opposite of the way we think when we're not real sure what's going on we'll close our eyes and we'll walk by faith and we'll trust in God and we'll discipline ourselves into the things of God and we'll wake up one day and recognize that God did everything that he ever promised he would do it's the truth of God maybe you're here today and this is you and you would say man honestly there's no devotion in my life I'm not submitted to God there's no way I've been submitted myself I've got a lot of things that I've, I've had questions about and I just can't bring myself, like maybe today is your day of submission. Maybe today is your commitment to be devoted and disciplined in the faith. Maybe today is the day that you'll find yourself in community or hospitality with people. Maybe you're reminded today of the tenacity of walking through difficult seasons. Whatever that is, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. we're going to ask him to show up in your situation. Maybe this is you and you would say, Father, forgive me of my sin. Today is the day I repent of my sin of doing it in my own strength and my own ability. Father, thank you for the grace of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe with all of my heart that you lived a perfect life, a life, and you died on a cross, and three days later, you came back to life. Forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Savior, and I follow you as my Lord. Father, I pray for the rest of our family today. That whatever we're walking through, God, we're committed to you. Holy Spirit, show up in ways that only you can. God, I pray that you start revival in our hearts, that there's a devotion to the teachings of your word. There's a devotion to time with you in prayer, to fellowship with other believers. God, we're going to commit ourselves to the faith, and God, we're going to see you change the world through us. God, you'll get all the honor and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate Jesus today?